Well, welcome everybody. Thank you so much, so many of you for tuning in for this second in the series of Accessibility Insights, informal chats with the top people in the world when it comes to accessibility and digital inclusion. And today's guest definitely fits the bill there. We're going to be talking to Neil Milliken, who is head, Global Head of Accessibility at Atos. And maybe for people that aren't aware, uh, we should make sure that you start off, uh, Neil, by giving a quick introduction of what Atos is. But I'll just say hi to you. Thank you very much. And, and uh, I didn't realise I was uh, your, your second episode. So uh, great to be uh, so, so high on your priority list. So Atos is a uh, global digital transformation outfit. We do everything from um, landing space probes on comets for the European Space Agency to uh, building supercomputers and quantum computing to more mundane stuff like uh, making people's sort of desktop experience work in, in large organizations. Uh, and, and so my role is trying to make all of that as accessible as possible. Wow. Um, so is, it, yeah, it's <laughs> pretty broad remit. Yeah. That is amazing. From space and to quantum computing. Absolutely brilliant. Now, I'm visually impaired myself, I'm blind, so I've got no idea whether um, our faces are popping up at the moment, but we're on some slides, which are just welcome slides, but for most of the proceedings, you will unfortunately be seeing my face and Neil's, which I'm sure is much pleasant, more pleasant, um, as we're chatting, and then we'll have a couple of slides at the end, and we should be wrapped up by about half past, if I have any capability of, of timekeeping at all. So, a couple of housekeeping slides. Uh, Orla, who is a, an invisible but very welcome presence to this proceedings, she is going to be doing uh, live captions from the MyClearText people. Thanks, Orla. So you can do that by going to your control panel in Zoom and clicking on the CC button. I'm sure the people that need it uh, know how to do that. Alternatively, there is a URL on the screen. I'm not going to read it out because it's uh, long and complicated. Um, for people that want to have it coming up in a separate window, but it's exactly the same captions that you'll get through the Zoom platform itself. Now you've got slides that are up there now. They are very minimal, as I've mentioned before, it's mostly gonna be us talking. So you probably want to go to the website, that's abilitynet.org.uk slash insights hyphen atos after the fact, and there everything will be there from show notes, to the questions and answers that we would invite you to pop into the Q&A box as we go through. We're not going to address them in the um, limited time that we've got today, but we will add our comments and responses to those as part of the show notes uh, and the transcript will be up there and the video, et cetera. So go to um, that website slash insights-atos at AbilityNet and then you can get all of that information. And there is a feedback form which would, we would really welcome you to complete. You'll get it when you close the webinar, but also it will be as part of an email that you'll get in a couple of days as a follow-up to that. Uh, it's probably linked to from that show notes page as well. So that would be brilliant. Any feedback, really, really welcomed. Okay then, so now let's bring up our mugs, our ugly mugs. Speaking of mugs, so for whatever reason, the question that we ask at the beginning of these <laughs> different events is what is your poison? What are you drinking at the moment oh. uh, to get oh. you through this ordeal? Uh, unfortunately, with it being so hot, I'm terribly boring. It's a glass of water. Oh, that is hopefully enough to get you through. Yes. I've got a cup of tea here. 
Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a, a Union Jack mug, perhaps. Is, I can't remember. Yes. But that, you know, please don't construe any political comment from that whatsoever. Um, so yeah, cup of tea for me. Great. So I'm going to, as I mentioned before, I'm a, a screen reader user myself. So if there's any kind of pregnant pauses, hopefully not too long, it's me uh, reading my notes or listening to my notes uh, so that I can ask Neil the next question. So first question, what's in your opinion, expert opinion, do you think has changed? What are the most significant changes and shifts in the landscape over, say, the last 10 years? Not a broad question by any means. So what, you know, do you feel like uh, are the most impactful changes? So uh, yesterday was actually my 10th anniversary of starting this current job. I mean, it's, it's morphed over the years. I actually joined Stevens on the BBC account 10 years ago yesterday. And um, some stuff remains the same, but I think that the global attitudes to accessibility have significantly changed. Uh, and I think that the... Um, the embedding of access features in consumer tech has accelerated to the point where a lot of specialist assistive tech is, is lagging behind some of the consumer stuff now. So that's been some of the major change. And I also think some of the work done within the industry to professionalize and to, to look at how we can make this stuff work at scale has progressed quite a long way in this decade. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more about the mainstreaming of assistive technologies and the, the power and sophistication of the built-in options that are in the devices in all of our hands and on our desks. So absolutely. Still, though, accessibility is thought of probably by most people as, you know, a very niche consideration, albeit uh, one with a strong you know, legal requirement, ethical and moral uh, imperative, etc. I can't imagine over the last 10 years that it's been an easy ride, or please correct me if it has, <laughs> getting um, to the place where you are, having, being able to um, you know, uh, broach the massive areas of delivery that Atos yeah. cover, but at the same time prioritizing accessibility to the extent that it absolutely needs to be um, championed. So I know that you've done a lot of work on the business case and on making accessibility a sustainable proposition yes. within Atos. Uh, is there anything that you want to say about how you've kind of won that case or what are the key areas that you'd like to um, highlight for other people so that they can have as much success as you've seen over your tenure? Okay, so I think that some of it is just dogged persistence. <laughs> um, and, and I like to think about sort of timescales and we need to think about some of the stuff in uh, obviously, for projects, delivery timescales are, are, are fairly short term, but for something like this, you're, you're having to think in, in terms of years and sometimes decades. And um, so, so we have to be thinking about laying the foundations for the future, um, which is quite tricky when you're doing a business case for organizations that, that are um, publicly quoted on stock, stock markets and report on quarterly and, and, and uh, yearly basis. So, so there has to be a balance between long-term planning and um, direction setting and short-term results. So you have to be able to be able to show that you can uh, make stuff pay or add value because not everything is about bringing in revenue. 
um, at the same time as trying to to build for the future. And that's been a, that's been a tricky tricky balance to strike. I think that that some of the stuff that I, I I think has been successful has been growing skills and also looking at um, shifting accessibility left. Uh, now, when we talk about shifting left, to the when you when things go to the right, they're later in a process or they're more expensive. So, so what we've been trying to do over time, and, and we're not alone in this, the industry is doing this, is trying to get involved much earlier in the process at the design stage and the initiation stages, and to be able to do it more cheaply and more efficiently. Because uh, that way we can do it at scale. Because every time that we bespoke some element of accessibility, we're adding in cost and complexity which is what makes us so popular with project managers. Um, especially when you do it at the end and you sort of come in and you throw a wrench into their project. So, so I think that, that, that building that sort of consistency has been part of it. Uh, we, we work quite closely with organizations like the International Association of Accessibility Professionals as, as does AbilityNet. So we're both part of the, the UK chapter there. Uh, and I've been working with them on strategic leadership certification in, in accessibility. Um, and, but at the other side, shifting left in terms of not leadership, but people to deliver, we've been working on apprenticeships. So um, it's actually quite hard to find enough people to, to address the scale of the problem with the skills that we need uh, in the market. So we determined a few years back that we needed to grow our own skills and we, we started doing apprenticeships. And then when we found that people were interested in poaching our former apprentices, I thought, well, maybe this is a signal that we need to go wider. And again, working with AbilityNet and Shell and Barclays and a, a consortium of other organizations, we've created this uh, accessibility apprenticeship standard. Um, it's for accessibility specialists. So it's the equivalent of a foundation degree. Uh, so the first year of a degree, um, a level four apprenticeship. And, and um, that's almost ready to go. I expect that we should be ready to have a first cohort beginning of next year, all, all being well, because COVID is definitely throwing a spanner into the works with, uh, with things right now. That really models our um journey of discovery within AbilityNet to bring um, accessibility consultants on at the very earliest stage, train them up and have a constant um, upskilling of uh, team members. But poaching is absolutely a problem, particularly in the third sector as AbilityNet is. So yeah, totally with you there. So shifting to the left um, really does make for a more mature approach to accessibility, you know, and we're definitely seeing that and trying to encourage that within our clients, not for us, for example, to come along at the end and do an accessibility audit and find lots of errors uh, that need to be retrofitted. You've done a lot about an accessibility maturity model within ATOS and that, you know, framework that hangs off that. Yes. Do you want to say anything about that? Yeah. So, um, Credit where credit's due. The, the first AMM was the work of the Business Disability Forum, of which, again, we're members. We, we try and, and work across industry as much as possible. Um, from, from my point of view, working with all of the sort of the third, uh, the third sector and the standards bodies and everything else is crucial 
because we need to knit this all together because otherwise we're going off in different directions and we want to be pulling in a consistent direction because it's hard enough to get people engaged in accessibility. It's even harder if, um, if there isn't a consistent voice on this. We, we use this um, as a way of measuring and, and ascertaining where organizations are at, including our own. So we, we do this internally and we do it with clients. Um, and it's, it's really useful because you, as an organization, you're gonna have areas where you're good and areas where you're, you're less good and no organization is perfect on this. Even the exemplars still have you know, significant areas where we can, we can all improve. Um, and it's a moving target as well. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. So, Ever changing. More so now than, than it was 10 years ago, because what we, we had then was a, a sort of a fairly sort of fixed technology stack. Uh, and then things would change on a, on a sort of every few years basis. So you could do, do a project, implement a new operating system, put stuff in and expect it to run uh, without too much problem for, for a period of time. Now we have what we call evergreen IT. So you've got software as a service and stuff is constantly updated. And what that means is you have to constantly check the interoperability and make sure that stuff is working. And it, it adds to rapid improvements because, you know, for example, with, with Microsoft products, you're getting with every release cycle, more accessibility features. You look at um, some of the stuff that's come on in, um, in Teams recently where they're adding features all the time, um, or in um, PowerPoint, for example, where you've got um, the accessibility checker that can now be always on, like the spell checker. Mm -hmm. Every release, there's something new, but with every release, there is also potential for stuff to not work together and therefore um, that does create an extra layer of complexity and a, a constant cycle of, of work and checking to make sure that we can keep people working. I think the single most um, impactful thing that Microsoft could do is to surface the, their accessibility checker in office products um, you know to the top level of the uh, ribbon by default because you know uh, discoverability is still not all that it could be. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely a moving target. There are um, accessibility criteria, you know, there's WCAG when it comes to HTML or web. Um, there is uh, accessibility guidelines for iOS and for Android, for example. One of the questions that we had in advance from the Twitterverse was around how WCAG seems to be a bit more comprehensive, a bit more mature than um, the iOS and Android guidelines, for example. Um, but my question would be, how um, even with the um, relative uh, detail and um, specificity of these guidelines, you know, it's so difficult and probably even unreasonable to expect the hundreds of thousands of people that are working on Atos digital services on a daily basis to A, be au fait with them, to B, you know, B, to check every last bit of code or copy that they do to every one of those guidelines. So is there some sort of short cut that you you know what processes uh resources have you put in place to try and upskill everybody's or kind of up the content the inclusion yes. of, of the daily content that people are churning out yeah so so it's 
complex. Um, so what we have to look at is role-based accessibility. So what's your role within an organization and what are the elements of your role um, crossover with your responsibility to, to make sure that you're being accessible and to a certain extent, forget about the rest of it. Because actually the last thing we want to be doing is, is forcing people to learn stuff that's irrelevant to them. So, so we have a lot of um, training material available already. We're looking to break that up further and make it more and more role-based so that we're less and less of a turnoff um, because people have very limited time. So uh, again, putting stuff down into sort of small chunks and bite-sized learnings, I think is, is, is really important. Um, making accessible components. So component level accessibility. I know that people like Gareth Ford Williams at the BBC will tell you an awful lot about the work they've done. They're a leading example of that. Um, a library of tools that people can yeah, draw upon to create. Ab absolutely. So most people who are developing um, sort of applications and systems for customers aren't writing code or aren't, aren't writing it from scratch. They're reusing components. And in fact, a lot of the stuff that's happening now, we've got the this, this sort of citizen developer movement going on. Um, people are, are, are using sort of drag and drop compilers. So a lot of the, the, the most important stuff that I do is actually not about teaching people about the web content accessibility guidelines. It's about teaching them the principles. And we have the principles stated in our policies and so on. But it's actually more about working with suppliers and people that are making platforms for this stuff. So for example, we've been lobbying um, a lot of the sort of low code and no code suppliers to make their stuff accessible. Um, and some of them have done, done a, a creditable job now. So, so for, for example, for, for our Global Accessibility Awareness Day, we had our systems come on and talk about the work they've been doing on their low and no code uh, solutions to make sure that the components that people are dragging and dropping into applications result in accessible out outcomes. The other thing is actually people know about WCAG, but to my mind, the most important standard isn't WCAG, it's ATAG. And this is the authoring tools accessibility <laughs> guidelines because actually most of the content that we have on the internet is created through what are known in W3C terms as authoring tools. Now, that might be Twitter. Twitter is an authoring tool. Facebook is an authoring tool. Um, but also lots of people's personal websites of which the majority of the web is built on and, and small business too, um, are created on things like Wix and WordPress Squarespace, and Drupal yeah. and, yeah, mm -hmm. and all of these things. And it's those platforms and the ability of those platforms to enable people that don't really know about accessibility to produce something that isn't going to prevent uh, people with disabilities from using them that would have a, a huge difference. So the, mm -hmm. there is work going on um, sponsored by the European Union looking into this kind of stuff. And again, that's an area where I'm, I'm very keen to make sure that that as we procure stuff, as we procure systems on behalf of ourselves and on behalf of our customers, we're taking all of that into account because 
we're a systems integrator. We, we, we build some things, we, we build supercomputers and we do pull together systems, but we also bring together other people's technologies and, and, and make them. So, so a lot of the work that we're doing is about influence and about you know, building alliances. That's absolutely brilliant. And so I'm assuming that within Atos, you have done that, you've you know, gone through that process to make sure that your CMS, uh, or probably plural, most certainly, um, have uh, the capability to create accessible content and you've got you know, good component libraries. And do you have like a QA layer or layers to make sure that, um, you know, internal? Yeah, yeah. so, so uh, again, we work with our, our group uh, uh, group quality organization. Uh, uh, there's some questions coming up and someone's saying, what is a CMS? It's a content management system. Um, uh, um, so yes, we work with group quality. We also have uh, what we call our um, book of internal controls, which are how we go and audit the various different bits of our organization to make sure that they're complying with our policies, etc. Now, I can't go around, and, and in, indeed the, the team that work with me can't go around and check everything. So um, we have to sort of do spot checks, and that's what our, our sort of audit function within the organization does. Um, and and yeah, make sure that not only are they um, doing it and looking at the outputs, but looking at their processes to make sure that they're building it in. Because in an organization as diverse as ours, where we're doing you know, things like maybe yeah, we're, we're building databases which don't have to be, the, you know, that's less sort of user focused to compared to ticketing systems, which are very user focused and, 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 and really need a, a great deal of, of thought put into how uh, different users will, will interact with them. Um, that those require different strategies for, for achieving accessibility. So, so it's, it's really about looking at, at what's appropriate for each bit of the organization. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm going to change gears now and ask you what you think, what external factors that are out there in recent months, years have had the biggest impact on where we are today in terms of the profile of accessibility or inclusive design, um, how far it's come a lot towards um, making a, the internet, for example, a, a half decent place for someone like myself or whatever disability you've got um, to effectively operate in. So what do you think the external factors are that are kind of at play today? So there, are, there is legislation, um, you know, significant amounts of legislation, um, European Accessibility Act, the Public Sector Web Accessibility Duty, uh, Section 508 in the United States. We're in a global world, so actually legislation in different countries still applies to uh, large organizations like mine because we work across those different international boundaries and software doesn't doesn't stay within the country for the most part therefore even though there might not be legislation in in our own country if we're selling to another country we need to be mindful of that so so that has been a big driver i think awareness of the capabilities of of assistive tech um, and the fact that we're now starting to mainstream some of the assistive uh, components, so text-to-speech, uh, speech-to-text, mm -hmm. uh, the 
the rapid rollout of AI powered uh, image recognition and, and all of this kind of stuff has had and the a huge API availability. So yeah, like we're saying, we don't have to reinvent. Anything. Yeah, well, you're not doing it yourself because I started 20 years ago working with speech recognition systems, and you know, you were we were having to build our own computers and, and look at where we put the components just to get the speech recognition to work properly, let alone looking at tweaking the software, et cetera. So it's become a lot easier to do stuff with standard kit. Or just rely on the cloud because you know, a lot of the heavy lifting can be done. Okay, so uh, the, the cloud's a double-edged sword, right? Because I think that, that there's loads of wonderful stuff in the cloud and there's a huge amount of powerful computing. As soon as you lose signal, you've lost that capability. So if you're fundamentally reliant on assistive tech, then um, that loss of, of signal is debilitating. Um, and, and that's where I think the, the move to, to push some of it back on device is really interesting. So for example, the, the Google captioning on Android uh, is done on device for the most part, not uh, not in the cloud. Speech recognition that's in the cloud also has a delay. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so, for example, when I'm dictating on iOS, which is which is can be pretty good, but I'm dyslexic and, and, and ADHD, so I, 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 my focus is rubbish. Mm -hmm. I see what is written down the first at the first but then it goes and changes it and I don't notice the changes and I post something online and it's nonsense because it's, tr it's, 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 it's changed stuff after the fact because it's trying to be clever. So, so some of this stuff, there, there is a, a lack of maturity still. It's very capable in some ways, but still not really everyday usable when you have to hundred percent rely on it. So I think that, that as this technology matures, there's a lot of, of prospect for us. On the, to answer your other question about how friendly is the web, well, if you take the, the, the outputs of the WebAIM survey and they surveyed a billion websites, 99.9% .9 of them aren't fully accessible, so it's not a very friendly place. Mm -hmm. That said, some of those websites we never want to go to. Um, and, and, and we have to really take a pragmatic approach and think, well, we can't blame non-professionals, you know, for their blog not being 100% accessible. We can't necessarily blame small businesses for not knowing how to do it or for not being able to do it because the platform doesn't support it. Mm -hmm. Because if they're using something like Wix, it's not, it's not going to output something that's fully accessible. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, uh, large companies and um, government and public services that we need to use and things that we need for our everyday lives are getting better, but still, there's still some way to go and, uh, and we've still got some work. And I think that that's where the legislation really needs enforcement. Totally agree on that last point. I mean, yeah, on all of your points, <laughs> but yeah, we really need to get some more enforcement and let, you know, the public sector regulations have some teeth. But if we could only you know, follow Norway's model, uh, the changes that they've seen as soon as you know, it's actually being enforced across sectors has been a real eye-opener. So I'm aware of time. I'm so sorry, guys. This should be a longer session. Um, another question here from the audience or from, from our polling earlier. 
Um, what have you, either you personally and or Atos more generally, learned from the shift to home working? As an organisation, we were actually um, doing flexible working quite some time ago. So, so it's been really um, quite good for us in that, that we were fairly well prepared not just technologically because we had the setup to enable people to work from home but in terms of organizational mindset because actually a lot of the stuff about working from home isn't about the technology it's about trust mm -hmm. it's about understanding and allowing your employees to work on their own without sort of micromanaging and, and seeing them that said you know we, we still need to um you know make sure that all of the accessibility features work on remote um, we need to make sure that people have suitable environment to work in and that's problematic when people are working from home because whilst we can allow flexible working not everyone has a good space to be working in so I think longer term that's something that we need to resolve not just as our organization but lots of organizations in terms of COVID and post-COVID and how do we still have some kind of meeting spaces I think that longer term, uh, as we've been doing this for nearly six months, people, whilst they're pretty good at this, are becoming fatigued. I think there is a real Zoom fatigue. You know, I'm amazed we've got people on the webinar because you know, <laughs> everybody's doing a webinar. You know, me included. I mean, we've been doing access chat for six years, but but um, but yeah, it's 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 actually quite nice to turn the video off um and just hear people because that that has been hard is actually trying to sort of get the visual cues from someone as a very visual person that lag um between what's being said and that sort of microsecond delay it actually puts a a, a fair amount of strain on you oh well i um I, I know that's not <laughs> i know that's not relevant to, to you so much but uh but it, it certainly is among the dyslexic and and neurodiverse community absolutely and for people that rely on you know um that visual reinforcement i think that can be yes. really distracting we're still in the uncanny valley area of virtual meetings i think um Definitely. so uh, terribly um uh, we've run out of time so uh, just one more question then um any sort of closing comments that you absolutely wanted to get across and or anything that you want to provide as a top tip, for example, that we can pass on to our next guest next month. Uh, and isn't that uh, Paul, Paul Smythe, um, MBE Barclays. from Barclays. Yes. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. So Paul's, a, Paul's a great guy, uh, a, a supporter of the accessibility community again. Um, and I think that both Paul and I are, are huge believers in, um, you know, you, you, you catch more you know more flies with honey yeah it's essentially we want to um bring people in have a big tent approach connect people up and i think that that's really the the key to some of this yes there's technology but it's about collaboration that will make the difference fantastic thank you so much neil really really appreciate it sorry it felt a bit rushed we could have probably talked no for another hour <laughs> so Thank you so much indeed. Uh, I'm just going to switch back now. Annie, I think, is going to fire up uh, just a couple of closing slides so that we can finish on a real uh, <laughs> high note doing a bit of admin. But yes, okay. thank you very much indeed, Neil. 
So very quickly, guys, to finish off, um, as we mentioned, this is a series of uh, webinars. We are, we are doing other webinars as well, and we would really appreciate that you have a look at those. Um, if you want to get uh, a discount, you can see a discount code here um, of Insights Atos 10. And if you go to slash webinars on the AbilityNet website, then you can uh, have a look at some of the more uh, some some more of the really interesting and hopefully informative uh, webinars that we've got coming up. Oh, sorry, we're on the training slide, aren't we? <laughs> so <laughs> we're starting off on the training slide. Sorry, guys. Um, we've got some training courses coming up. And you can get more information at slash training. So how to do your own accessibility testing, for example. We've talked a little bit about what, how Atos does it at scale um, and how to evaluate the results, etc. Have a look at our training offerings, please. Um, our commercial services are how we uh, are able to provide free services to tens of thousands of disabled people every year. So really appreciate that. And then on the next slide, we are just saying thanks very much indeed. If you want to uh, follow our newsletter, please do. 18th of August is the next webinar. And we've got accessibility services there as well. I'm just reading down the slide contents. Uh, I'm much better at the chat guys than the admin. <laughs> so please follow us on all the places. Uh, go to the URL that we had at the beginning which was insights-atos. And there you can uh, listen back or read the transcript for today's session. Thanks 